Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. <laughs> Hello, Foibles listeners. And today, Zoe and I are going to an area that we haven't really touched on before. Something that we love and haven't actually shared with our very high quality listeners. <laughs> Hopefully you'll like this one. Uh, Zoe and I love cult and genre films. Yeah, I think we did one episode called Our Best Worst Films. Well, that's true. And But this is going to be a slide into even trashier territory. <laughs> well, okay, that, that's equally trashy, but definitely <laughs> trashy. So those of you who have, you know, really enjoyed our uh, high classical literature uh, analyses and, you know, top film stars and good quality stuff, I don't know. Hopefully you'll stick with us and you'll enjoy the conversation because this it was one of those ones where this will be a, a one hour, one segment topic that we'll cover. But I don't know, how, how many months have we been watching these films? We've been Six, watching... Yeah, at least. Well, what happened was, is uh, what I will do is uh, frequently go to Scarecrow Video, which is here in Seattle, Washington, which is a brick and mortar um, video store, which I, we highly always recommend you check mm-hmm. out on the web, scarecrow.com. Largest collection in the world, but they're also doing mail orders now. Right. So you can order from them from all around the country if you want to rent a rare movie. Yeah, they have a collection such that there are things that you never could find anywhere um, at all. And they have a real specialty in genre and in um, the uh, Chopsaki and martial arts films, especially of Asia. Uh, anyway, the, it's a fantastic store. Really recommend you check out their collection. And, you know, you can go ahead and rent even if you're not here in Seattle. So, okay, that commercial aside, which was unpaid and unsolicited, <laughs> but uh, heartfelt. Um, <clears throat> so I would I would often go in there, we're members, and would, uh, like, i get a recommendation for a movie with a certain title. In this case, it was Kill Zone. And I wrote it down. But then I looked at it and I go, oh, there are like five movies called Kill Zone. So how do I know which Kill Zone this was? I don't really remember. So usually what I'll do is I'll rent them all. I'll watch them all. (laughs) All five movies called Kill Zone. (laughs) All five movies. Now laugh at me as I go to the checkout and all the movies I'm checking out have the same title. (laughs) But the... uh, the benefit of this, and I'm going to continue doing it, I, uh, is that we discovered the work of David and Ted Pryor, a team of brothers, and they are the cult uh, favorites of ours in our house. So this is who we're going to be talking about today. So uh, we re- I rented Kill Zone. Zoe and I watched it. Couldn't believe it. It's one of those uh, situations where it's sort of like a Roger Corman deal where, if you know about Roger Corman, he was a producer who... Everything was done on a shoestring. Sort of an early um, version of Blumhouse, only more downscale, more kind of low end. And he just would have the tightest budgets and he would get these uh, brand new directors and such as Ron Howard, Martin Scorsese. Uh, a lot of these guys worked for him and learned their craft that way. Mm. So this is kind of like that, except without like the talent. <laughs> But but with all of the drive and the verve and the excitement and the love of film, at which that's why it's it's great to watch. Yeah, I I was thinking as we're talking, I'm like maybe once we finish this episode, I'll have to you know find Ted Pryor's email and send send the link to this uh, episode to him. And then I'm thinking about it, I'm like I don't know, he might not feel that great after hearing it. So maybe we shouldn't do that. But we're great fans. We're great to fans. Be clear. So first of all, the last name is spelled. P-R-I-O-R, Pryor. And there's uh, the two brothers, David and Ted. David was born in 1955, and he is de- he deceased, he died in uh, 2013, of unknown causes. And David was the writer and the director and producer and... And whatever else, whatever. editor, I think, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes the editor in the early days. And uh, so that was his gig. Now, Ted... And Ted is the one we're really going to talk about because Ted is the one we love. Ted is the one who's the personality uh, that we we, atta- we got attached to. And he, but he is the star. He's the actor. He's often the star of the films or plays a part in them. He also apparently was 
uh, one of the producers. He acted in the production company that they formed. Uh, he built the sets. He was often the AD, assistant director. So he did a lot of stuff behind the, the scenes. And the way, and you can uh, check Ted out uh, on a line. You can hear some a couple little interviews with him where he talks about this. But what he says his role was with the filming primarily was that he would take David's sort of ramblings and vision and he just he understood it they the brothers were very close and he would translate it to the actors because that was not david's strong point and get them to do what the vision was and what david was wanting them to do so he was sort of a translator i see okay and to be clear we're basically going to be talking about ted Pryor's entire ove mm-hmm. and so he acted in a lot of movies that david was not involved in so so there'll be a mixed yeah there'll be some movies most of his movies were written and directed by his brother there were a few movies when he you know was making acting his career which he isn't anymore he's retired from acting he would be in a few other movies like uh, one I'll talk about like with Shannon Tweed so if you know the genre and cult level you'll know who I'm talking about Shannon Tweed I'll tell you a little bit about her she's great but we we're talking about Ted Pryor's so thank you for clearing that up because Ted is the star. Ted is right. the one we love. We adore Ted. <laughs> we fell in love with Ted. Yeah. Oh, from oh, and and the, so we saw Kill Zone, and that was the first film we saw. It's the second film that they made together, uh, Ted and and David. And once we saw this film, we'll tell you a little bit about it. But it was like, oh yeah, we're we got to watch like, them all. This is great. What the hell? <laughs> I've never heard of this before. And so yeah, I think. I think immediately decided we need to watch all of his films. We'll just do it chronologically. In, in order, exactly. So this is how we do it. We're the completest. <laughs> and sometimes to our great pain. <laughs> great pain and suffering. And oh, uh, there's one movie on this on his list that I just we could not track down and could not buy and could not find anywhere. Uh, and it's still bugging me. I know. Oh, it, it just it broke my heart. <laughs> I never get to see this film. I know. Oh, we're not we were not able to complete. Uh, it will be something we'll keep in our minds every week. Every week we'll search yeah. for it. But because that's how we are. That's how, how we roll with these kinds of things. Anyway, so we got the two brothers. David, as I talked about, born in 1955, died recently. Ted Pryor is still around. He was born in 1959. Basically, around the time that his brother died, his career, I don't know if, you know, we don't know. He didn't do an interview. But his career no longer shows up on IMDb of doing any kind of film work. He seems to have kind of moved on. But you can go online and you can see what he looks like, which you definitely want to do, especially in his young days. That's oh, yeah. the Ted you want to see. He was a bodybuilder, a major bodybuilder, and a Playgirl centerfold. That's right. Yeah. In several issues, I believe. Yeah, but he, well, he was only a centerfold in one. Okay. But Which is the place of honor, I know. Excellence. Just total excellence. But we, what was it? Where should we start with kind of explaining to someone what's going on with us? I, I, I feel like... For me, Kill Zone is a movie, it's about a supposed concentration camp that's run by Donnie Kong, who was the, the actor, uh, who we, we love this actor. He's an actor with no talent, but with absolute conviction, absolute dedication, absolute sincerity to his role. And you just, it's like... You're going to find this a lot in these You'll films. find it in, in these films, but, 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 but also with a bit of charm. Because some of them are very dedicated, but they're they're irritating because they're just they're so, so bad. But there's something about this actor. You just it's like watching your own child do a play at school. It just fills you with delight. There's like no actual judgment about the quality. Mm-hmm. It's just delightful. I think that's part of it. Is that kind of like you know we all or most of us have like our closely held dreams or things we'd love to do like oh, I'd love to be a singer on the stage and the mm-hmm. fans and you know that's just that's not our life path we're not that talented we don't mm-hmm. end up doing that and and here's somebody who is also not that talented yeah. but he's <laughs> like, doing it he's living his dream of being in a movie and like right <laughs> but he and, and this particular actor Donnie Kong was only in three movies but that description that I just gave of Donnie Kong also applies to Ted Pryor Ted Pryor is in his young days there was something so enthusiastic and eager and open about his character and he was not a bad actor i mean he actually he's as good as a lot of people who star on tv shows so i don't know exactly why he didn't make it you know break into a a higher level and he wouldn't have ever been a top top ranked talent but he definitely um you know he, he had ability 
And you can tell he's making choices and he's thinking about his roles and, you know, I got to give him that, but not at first. He does a lot of eyebrow acting early on, which I like. <laughs> Describe eyebrow acting. Oh, it's uh, it's just like a lot of ups and downs, but a lot of like independent movement between the two eyebrows and just a lot of like, the more you move your eyebrows, the more intensity you're giving off. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so uh, as we as we were trying to uh, explain, Ted, uh, uh, we, we loved him for his personality, also because he was so beautiful. He was, I mean, I'm not yeah. somebody who tends to really love the bodybuilding look, but I loved, liked it on him. He had an amazing bodybuilding. Um, he had his hair, he had a blonde mullet, beautiful blonde mullet, mm-hmm. and he was wearing like those really radiant blue contacts that it made his eyes like super blue i know and he just really it looked good though (laughs) (laughs) my favorite feature about ted though of course is his little teeth that poke out (laughs) he's got like a lot of expressions and little smiles and stuff and his little like canine teeth yeah he's got a little he's got two little pointy canine teeth on the top yeah Yeah, that's my favorite (laughs) That's, that's the best so that's where we discovered ted and we fell in love with ted and we also fell in love with the filmmaking prowess of David Pryor. Although we have watched other, we did watch another David Pryor that Ted wasn't in. And it was so boring and so terrible. So there's something about the synergy the of the melding. two yeah. that really makes it work. Do you want to talk about Killzone? It's not on either one of our lists as a best film. Oh, it's on my list. Oh, okay. The then That's you go, go, go ahead and talk about Killzone. Okay. And then maybe we'll talk about Deadly Prey. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Killzone we rented it, and first of all, the only format we were able to get it in from Scarecrow was VHS. So we watched the VHS be warned. of it. Yeah, be warned. <laughs> Which, I would love a restored version of Killzone, but I honestly, I love the charm of VHS tapes, and I collect them, so I appreciated that a lot. It's Killzone, all one word, um, and the year was 1985, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. And it's very clear from the earliest moments of the film that basically they watched Rambo and were just like, oh my God, we have to make Rambo again. (laughs) And and you'll see through the first 10 years of their career or whatever, they try to remake Rambo numerous times. Yeah, and and specifically First Blood, Mm -hmm. Rambo First Blood. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, well, it starts out and it takes, I'm going to spoil, oh, we're going to spoil these movies. Yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 and, and David Pryor, he is the old twist meister. Yeah. He's always got some like little twist that you're like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> not that you wouldn't necessarily see it coming, but you might not see it coming because it's usually so out of the blue that it's not yeah. set up very well. <laughs> yeah. So the twist in this one kind of comes early on, but as you said, it takes place in a prison camp, and so they're being they're being tortured and held in pens, and it's you know the Vietnam uh, era, so I think they're supposed to be Vietnamese. But I mean, the film was Vietnam era. It wasn't made in the Vietnam era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. set set in Vietnam yeah. era. And um, and Ted snaps, and he he gets out of there, and he goes on a rampage. And it turns out that this was just like an army training exercise, but his PTSD is takes over, and he, he goes on a murderous real. spree. And so then he's pitted against his own commander and and own comrades. But then there's what puts this one above some of the other war films he's in for me. Probably nostalgia goggles since it was the first one yeah. that we fell in love with it. But also there's like a bromance in it that it's just, I love to see it. And, you know, they walk out at the end with their gleaming muscles rippling, covered in dirt and sweat, holding their guns and being like, let's go, bro. And I was just like, oh, this is my movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I enjoyed it. I yeah. enjoyed it. I, obviously, I enjoyed it because I wanted to see all the movies from the beginning. But this movie in itself, I think it's the... They did a lot of war films that we'll talk about them, and they were probably a good 50%, if not 75% of the film, is running through the woods. Basically, the most famous film that they made was another one of these, another uh, First Blood Redux, and that is Deadly Prey. So if you know anything about midnight showings or you're in a cult, you know Deadly Prey. In fact, uh, Mystery Science uh, Theater 2000, I think it was... 3000? 3000, sorry. They um, they did a version of it. They did a... Did they? Yeah, okay. they did. It had kind of a renaissance. It got rediscovered somehow. Oh, it absolutely did. And so that's the one that's the most famous. I actually, um, I enjoy a lot of it, 
But it's again, it's not even on my list. It's not on your list either as a top one. No, we knew we had to talk about it because it's the most famous one and um, and they still host screenings of it where they do riff tracks and stuff like that. But it's just, I, I think the, it, it's very close to Kill Zone. It's oh, very oh, close. Oh, it is. But it's not as interesting because it doesn't have the prison camp. Right. And it doesn't have the bromance. Basically, when they get into the forest, it's the same. But the, the framing around it is different in that this is based on... Rambo First Blood, but that is based on The Most Deadly Game. And The Most Deadly Game is a 1932 film in which uh, people are marooned on an island and the rich guy there keeps them as his uh, prisoners and then he sets them out into the forest and he hunts them. So the most dangerous game, not like a game playing a game, but game as in what you hunt, is the human is the most dangerous game to be hunting. And so that's where all this comes from. And that originally came from a 1924 short story called The Most Dangerous Game or The Hounds of Zaroff. Ooh. I know. It seems like T.S. Eliot would write a poem about it. But anyway, this, yeah, so it's this you know, fantastical story that has really become very popular. And you'll, it's, it's been remade over and over and over again. I think the thing that makes it the most special is that Ted does eat a real live actual worm in it. He does. He does <laughs> method acting there. Yeah. Uh, basically, his character gets kidnapped while he's taking the garbage out by some guys riding by in a truck, and he's going to be their prey. And it ends up that little did they know that he has very special set of skills. Yes, that he just <laughs> happens to be the best fighter in the world. Yeah. Who was retired so, from the army or whatever. The army or Navy <laughs> SEALs or something like he had special ops training. And so now they're really in trouble because he knows how to make a spike out of a piece of not bamboo, it's just wood because this is <laughs> this is in Alabama. And within with it seems like within minutes he can set up a, a man trap with five spikes in it, and and somehow he gets it to be leveraged so that if the person hits the string, it will come up and it will pierce their body. It's so sharp. From from neck to navel, yeah, yeah all the exactly. way down. <laughs> so there's a bit of gore element to these movies, be warned. And yeah, yeah, he does. He eats a live worm. He um, There's a lot of great shots where David makes sure to get a really good shot of, of the biceps as he's mm-hmm. holding the gun. And if you've seen um, First Blood, Sylvester Stallone, who plays a Vietnam vet with severe PTSD, who flips back and believes it's true. So that's like the kill zone element. Right. Uh, he wears a rag around his sweatband or whatever around his forehead. Yep. And then he has gets a wound and he wears, puts a little bandage around it that's a, that's a rag. And so they have that. That's what Ted Pryor does in the film. And, it's this, and he also, there's another one, and I don't know where this came from. I think I saw it in a film or not. There's He's fighting someone and he cuts off their arm with the machete and then he beats them over the head with it. Yeah. <laughs> So that could fun to be had. Yeah, it's really, yeah, you, I could just I could just imagine our lovely, intelligent, genteel listeners just like cringing. Going, oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> very fun, but some very funny stuff, and it is enjoyable. Oh. But it's it's not my very top peak film. Me neither. And also, as a just a kind of a safe side note, speaking of like yeah. our our listeners, thank you. We talk a lot about how these movies are like. There's a lot of wholesome energy to be had in these movies. There's a lot of like childlike fun and everything. And pretend play. Yeah, but this is trashy. It's still scummy in some ways. And so there are instances of sexual assault in some of these movies, including Deadly Prey, not in Kill Zone. Um, so just just be aware of that. They're not handled graphically or or whatever. No. But it's you know they do exist. It's yeah. There's there's still kind of a there's a gross edge to some of these movies that we well you know. it, they they are ex- they are exploitation films exactly. So yeah, thanks thanks for saying that because that yeah, right. It's good to know. But for every one of those, there's a woman in a bikini who's like, I'm going to carry this chainsaw around and then just like have sex with anyone I please. You know? yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. So it's so I, I the films are not uh, the their filmmaking work as a body is not misogynist um, because that is not something that I would be able to handle at all. So it's not misogynist, but it is the 80s. And frequently it was it was not understood that just using sexual assault as a plot point might not be okay. You know, might not be a great choice. Right. You know? Yeah, I feel like they completely uncritically reflect the social mores of the time without, like, furthering them or anything. Yeah. So essentially what we see, just looking at Ted's career, but David's was aligned with it and parallel to it, was that it started out 
with a film called Sledgehammer, which is both on both our lists as one of our top five films. And that very first film was basically, actually uh, it holds a place of honor in filmdom in that it is the first slasher film made on videotape. That's wild. I had no idea. Me, me either. Yeah. Uh, and so it starts up, but it's basically a video camera held by David Pryor in a house with a bunch of their friends and family, uh, clearly all kind of hanging out, working on this play together. Ted is there, and everything is as low budget as it is possible to be, and hilarious. And the sweep of their career went, and they kept making films. So by the time they got to like Deadly Prey, which is four or five films down the line, it's still super low budget, but it's gone from, oh, everything is free and nobody no nothing is costing anything to it's an actual film Mm -hmm. and then it continues to sweep and they build and they have the production company and by the time we get to the 90s because we're talking the sledgehammer was 1983 we get about 10 years along they're actually having um like famous people in their films people who who are cheap now who basically it's the very end of their career, they were famous, and now this is one of their very last films. And Making cheap. a quick buck. Or some sort of B-list TV stars, like David Keith, who um, was in a, a lot of films at the time. He And he was he had a, a peak. He never quite made it really into the A-list, but he was pretty famous and was in quite a few movies. But clearly his he's in a slump, and so he's been hired to do this film as an example. So that happens a lot. So they're, they, they kind of are rising up the scale. And then what happens is that there is a suddenly a seven-year gap in the filmography. That gap occurs in 1999. So the momentum they've been building suddenly stops. Nothing is going on for seven years. And then in 2008, Ted reappears and starts working, and eventually David then also starts making films again and comes back. But there's, both of them, there's this big gap of years there, and they've never said what happened or whatever. My theory is, just a theory, is that since David Pryor died in 2015, and Ted, on his uh, Facebook announcement of David's uh, death, said that he had had a long battle with ill health, that probably something happened there where his ill health uh, took him out of the game and he wasn't able to work for a while. That's my guess. Now, why Ted was out, maybe for the same reason, family. Uh, but it's clear the brothers were really, really close and really worked closely together, so that, that could be a factor. But it's very sad, but it did break the, also break the momentum of their, of their trajectory of building this production company. So when they came back, they were still able to make, they made a few films, but I have to say, the joy was gone. Deadly Prey at this time in the early 2010s had become a cult film, and they discovered that it was a cult film, so they said, well, hey, if it's popular, let's make another one. This will be you know, the same character, Danton. Danton, yeah. Danton. Mike Danton. Mike Danton, 20 years later, and then we're going to have basically the same kind of thing, the same basic setup. Only. Sure. The guy's back for revenge. He kidnaps him a second time. And then and they go from there. Uh, but Ted had given up his bodybuilding, was no longer doing all the cosmetic stuff. He was 25 years older, 20 years older. So he was a, a robust and imposing older gentleman. But somehow, the filmmaker and the actor and everything, just the joy, the lightness had gone out of it. It just didn't, it didn't have the effervescence that it had. So I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. I don't recommend any of the later films, really. They're very, very intense and serious, but kind of joyless. But we'll tell you the good ones. And look at the program notes. We'll put all the ones we think that were our top fives, plus the other ones that we think are worth watching that you would enjoy. Shall we launch into that now? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Oh, Sledgehammer. Yeah, so their first film and, and on both of our top five lists Um Something, I mean, I think part of the reason why it stands out to me so much is the difference in quality in the filming because they did this one with a handheld video recorder and stuff, so it looks different from all of their other movies. It's not slick, it's not at all. It's like a home movie. Yeah, exactly. Which, but, And that kind of adds to the, mm-hmm. the creepiness of it or the, the chilling 
uniqueness that many filmmakers have taken advantage of the same like filmmaking method since then but it's very interesting and Ted in this one I think he has a different look because he's really at the height of his bodybuilding mm. at, in this first movie so he's just got like watermelons on his legs and his arms <laughs> and like maybe a baby fat quality and I think his hair is kind of more more blonde than oh. it ever was you know he's sitting there and he like plays his little acoustic guitar and, and stuff and there's all kinds of you can tell that it is improvised you know, silly stuff like he's talking to a, this this woman, kind of flirting with her, and he takes his beer can or his cup or something, and he puts it on top of her head yeah. for no reason, out of nowhere, <laughs> like playfully. Or, or there's a food fight in this, and it's obvious that the things they're saying and the, and the food fight itself is just them goofing around and being caught on camera. Uh, so clearly this was not a tightly scripted film. <laughs> and also the, the, the special effects are just the the cheapest low budget horror i mean they're so f and i'm a wimp mm -hmm. i'm an absolute wimp when it comes to like grody horror stuff and i just thought it was funny as heck yeah just yeah the kind of gore you can imagine just the shower something sticking through the neck stuff like that yeah yeah and there's you know the shower scene and then there's there's and the best part of this film are the memories there are flashbacks to what caused the 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 ghost "Quote unquote ghost to be there to for the slashing to be occurring now. It's like oh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Something happened. There was a murder in that house that created this evil that's going on yeah. here. <laughs> and so and the people and the acting is so bad. It's so because you because they are absolute amateurs. Mm -hmm. So it's fine that it's so bad. And basically what happened was Ted and David saw films like they saw a f the first blood. They saw these films. They said, I don't know what slasher film they saw. Maybe we can do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah we something. can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so they did, you know, and everything is completely derivative, but it's fun. So that's on both our lists. Yeah, I really enjoy that one. And the editing's weird too. It'll like linger on a shot for an odd moment and stuff that gives it a special quality. Not but, even for an odd moment, for like a minute. <laughs> yeah, and a minute is a long time. That's people, true. Like I'll take a picture of the house, the, the, the horror house that we're going to be going into, and you'll just sit there and sit there. And nothing's happening. There's nothing to look at. And in fact, it's a, it's a static shot because the trees aren't even moving. And it just stays and stays and stays and I'm thinking oh Bergman <laughs> <laughs> Mwah, <voila. laughs> there's a lot of that stuff yeah. you can see the fact that throughout the films especially early on that David Pryor watches movies mm -hmm. he's seen a lot of movies and he does pick up on stuff he picks up on story arcs he picks up on camera techniques and he does get a lot better as time goes on it's, it, it does get better but he never quite gets the editing rhythm there's always like this odd kind of like little syncope it's like a little a little empty space that normally in good films it's it's smooth it's filled out it's like one thing goes to the other your mind is just flowing and it's always like it just just a little tiny second too long <laughs> and then it switches and and so it doesn't look like the thing he cuts to is in rhythm with what happened before yeah. it's like wait a minute you know <laughs> especially <laughs> that's in those too late it is too late that for that to happen or too soon or especially in those long shots i think of like slow burn except that the slow burn is like a little burn in your brain <laughs> yeah. you're like when is it gonna change yeah, yeah exactly so uh you and you do see that a lot here which makes it very very funny yeah. so that that's really great yeah, and so just um, also a note, as we noted before, this is a bit of a historic movie in the sense that apparently it was the first one that was ever done on video, um, and it's been recognized a bit, so there is a re-release of this on DVD by some genre studio that, that redoes films, so you can find this. Killzone is the next film they did, which, we, which we've already talked about, and that was in 1985. And then in 1987, they did Killer Workout, which is, that's murder and slashing in an exercise studio, which is all right, but I, I didn't care for it that much. I, it does have like a, a plot and a reveal and everything, so it was enjoyable to watch. Mostly, I enjoyed it for the aesthetics, though, because it's incredibly 80s crossed with a, a gore film, so I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was okay. And then after that, just if you're following Ted, as we were, uh, the next film he was in was Surf Nazis Must Die. Donnie Kong was also in this. This was like his, I think his last film. Surf Nazis Must Die, the best thing about it is the title. It Absolutely, was, yeah. it, was, it, it really is not that good. Of, it's not even that 
good as a bad film. And Ted is really literally in it for like not even barely a minute. Right. So, he doesn't have any lines. I don't know. And he's in the background. He's just in a car yeah. somewhere. So that one is really not. Yeah, we were so excited about it. And so in a way it was a disappointment, but it does have some funny elements in terms of uh, the surf Nazis. It takes place in this like sort of quote unquote post-apocalyptic world where the surfers in California have become gangs. And so there's like a white supremacist surf gang, a bunch of different the warriors type style, yeah. stylized gangs in it. But then the like, I guess the hero of the movie is this middle-aged black woman whose son gets killed by the gangs. And then she buy- she goes out and buys a gun and just like goes on this rampage. Like she's on the water skis. She's shooting people's <laughs> head off with a shotgun. Like, so that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that, that. I know there was just something about it though that just didn't, yeah. as, a, as a whole. There's a lot the of dead el- space in this yeah, movie the, too. The elements are good, but I don't think they, they come together. Mm-mm. And then what happens, obviously they're still building, they're still working toward it. Then Deadly Prey comes out. And I think Deadly Prey must have made some good money because that was 1987. And then in 1988 and 89, they made several movies together. But I do need to make a, a warning. This is a big red alert warning because we were so disappointed. And that is in IMDb, there is a mistake on Ted Pryor's filmography. In 1988, it lists him as starring in Karate Warrior 2. Now, oh my God, that would be so amazing, right? We were oh, very excited to watch it. Very this excited. One. But we watched it, and then this blonde guy comes on, and we go, that's not Ted Pryor. <laughs> it's a different Ted Pryor who spells his name with a Y instead of an I. Yeah. And they put it on IMDb, and it's totally wrong. It's not Ted Pryor, and it's not a good movie. We actually watched the whole thing. Yeah, we did fast forward, I think, a bit. Quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> this Ted Pryor just has no charisma. Because really, when you're watching the film, and this is what makes a lot of it so fun, is that his charisma and the delight, well, he's just a, a delight to the camera to watch them, at least in these early films, mm-hmm. that um, it, it, it helps pull everything together and energizes everything else, I think. Yeah, I agree. Am I a fan? <laughs> Am I gushing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little Maybe bit. Maybe a little bit. So what is the next one we want to talk about? There, there are many films in here, and we yeah. don't want to and, and have this be just a list where we're listing the films that you can look at on IMDb and see for yourself. Yeah. So we're not going to like do any of that. We're really just going to kind of highlight and give you the highlights as we see it. Yeah, I think the next period they go through some more of their war movies, different yeah. iterations of it, um, and, then, and then they introduce him as a cop in a movie, so yeah. he plays lots of cops. It's sort of like a sequence of genres. So there's the war films with you know various other things sprinkled, but there's the war films, and then there is the cop law criminal. Yeah, and films. sometimes like the governmental paranoia or like double crossing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they move into sort of the sex one, or like Ted does erotic, th- psycho erotic thrillers. thrillers with a little bit of an umbrella of science fiction. Over, I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, it's wild stuff. Yeah, and yeah, and then they get into their science fiction right, later too. Right, yeah, right, interesting. And okay. then, then, then we get into the later period, which is more back to war stuff again. Right. So it's a war sandwich. <laughs> but the, I guess the next one we should talk about, because we'll we'll go through our best ones chronologically. I guess is Born to Kill. Born Killer. Born Killer. Sorry, Born yeah. Killer, and uh, that's in 1989, and it was written by Ted. So this is the, I think... There oh, were, Ted wrote this Yeah, one? he actually wrote this one. Oh. And so he wrote his own part. Yeah. So essentially, Born Killer is a, is a two-hander uh, written by Ted Pryor, and he wrote the role for himself. And Fritz Matthews, who's one of their regular actors, um, he plays really the Born Killer. But he's the, sort of the, the role that Ted usually plays. He's like the greater threat. He's the guy who is put in this position where he is being assaulted. They're going after him. They're trying to kill him. He gets in this situation accidentally. Basically, what's wonderful is there... This is chain gang. And, you know, it's just like the old chain gangs that they show in, like, the 1930s and the 1950s where there are these gigantic rocks. And they've got these sledgehammers, and they're supposed to be breaking the rocks, right? But it's clear... These sledgehammers—they're doing nothing. Yeah. They're just like bouncing off the rocks. They're not—they're not—they're not harming the rocks in any way. They're not breaking the rock. They're not even scratching the rocks. Probably because they're in a park somewhere. They're not allowed to do that. So there's all these men. It's so weird and set up where it's—they're all kind of standing around these gigantic boulders, and they're like hitting them with their little sledgehammers, doing nothing. 
and they, uh, Ted and his cohorts, end up uh, staging an escape and getting away. And then that's when he comes into conflict with Fritz because they um, they kill a bunch of people and they're, now they're after him. They want to kill him. Partially because he's in their way, but also just because that's what they like to do. <laughs> so I guess Fritz Matthews and Ted are really pitted against each other as both born killers, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Because Ted, he's the prisoner. He is a maniac. Yeah, oh, he's a maniac. He, it, and it's a... It's a it's really interesting that he wrote this part for himself because it really shows that he, uh, what he what he likes to play, what he likes to do, and he likes to be the bad guy. He wants to be the, he wants to be the damaged one, the bad guy. I think he wants to be a character actor. He doesn't really want to be the hero. So Fritz is the hero in this, and he is, and it's a fantastic performance too. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, there's this one scene where he's raving and he's Ted yeah. is raving and he's slapping himself in the face, and his death scene. In this film, incredible. is incredible. It is so good because, of course, we know that the good guy is going to win. I mean, that's how it's going to go. He's really stroking. throwing his all into this role. Yeah, yeah. I think this is peak Ted acting. This is yeah. the best. And uh, so this film is hilarious, and it makes you think of. In fact, Ted is shackled to a black man in this, and so it's like the Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. <laughs> And it's also got it's also got a feeling of like Cool Hand Luke Definitely. with the chain gang, and it's like it's got these. Cla- you watch this and you go, he just ripped that exactly off of a classic movie. Except that the editing is so bad that when the explosions go off, you're like, that timing didn't work very well. Yeah, something explodes and then someone then, goes, then, then there's a beat. Ah. Yeah, then there's a beat, and then you see somebody flying. You yeah, know, it's like. The timing just does not work here, um, so that that is really funny, and it's it's just it's just wild. All I really remember Everything. is Ted's face doing all the stuff that it does during this. Movie. I know. I mean, it, it is it really is a showcase. I loved it. I, yeah. I loved that one a lot. Yeah. So and then it? it's I think this one's back to back with another of our favorites. Oh, oh yeah, Future Zone. Yeah. So that's my favorite. It's it's excellent. And honestly, I think Future Zone is the high tide of their yeah. movie making, both in terms of making something that's kind of well done and a little bit a little bit original. Uh-huh. So I mean, he still is ripping it's off got real plot. Yeah. yeah. But it's sort of like he's ripping off from so many things that it becomes its own thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is one where we get our first taste of the sci-fi element in their work. Ted again stars in it, of course. And he wears an awesome mesh top under his jacket. <laughs> yeah, he's from the future. He come, yeah, he's a time traveler, and he comes back, and he's meddling in this in this in these police work of, and this is amazing because this is the first time they have a big star, and and he still was a pretty big star at the time, and that's David Carradine stars in this, and David Carradine, for those of you who are younger who don't know. He played in the uh, TV show Kung Fu. Anyway, he was a big, big star for a while. And yes, he'd begun to slip and it was going downhill, so clearly they could afford him. But he did a good job in it. He did a good job. Yeah, honestly. I was like, you know, I could see this movie made with Bruce Willis and Ted Pryor, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, actually. Exactly. Yeah, he's kind of like a hard-boiled... Kind uh, of a Looper kind of thing. Yeah. Well, not really, because it's not like the plot of Looper at all. So, okay, we're going to give away the spoiler here of what the, the twist is. Why did this future time traveler come back and try to help this guy? And that's because... David Carradine is his father. Of course. And he has to save his life. Gosh. So that he can be born. And what's so interesting is... So we've is got he, the Terminator in there. Yeah. The, 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 what's so interesting about this is that the other cop on this is this curly-headed woman who actually is his mother, but he doesn't give a shit about her. <laughs> right, yeah. She, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like mentioned, but he doesn't relate to her. He doesn't care about her. He isn't focused on her at all. He's totally focused on David Car- on the father figure, which is all about funny. the boys. Yeah, it really. That's the way it's written. It's clear and uh, that Ted and David Carradine bonded, that they get, were getting along really well, and you can really see that good energy between them and that was confirmed by ted when he was talking about different people he had been in films with and that he and he and david really got along very well and they were very tight and there's a great scene in it where they each have guns and holsters one's a futuristica and he shows them 
pull it out, and they spin it on their finger and put it back in in perfect sequence. Well, here's what happens. Absolutely there's a car, thing. there's someone driving at them that's going to kill them, and they've so bonded over the course of the movie mm. that they're able to do that in perfect synchronicity, fire at the car so that it, it goes in, it hits something, and then flies up into the air and crashes. And, and Well, it flips over and goes sideways right. and crashes and catches on fire, which is a theme, is a trope in David Pryor films <laughs> going forward. He has that in during the peak when he can afford it. Right. He has it like in every film. <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. it's great. It's great. <laughs> and then and then they holster it. And I, I was watching it and I said, I think I shouted with glee, did I not? Oh, yeah. I think we were yelling. We were yeah, both yelling. We were both yelling. It was so great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just perfect. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a perfect piece. Ted looks his best because he now he no longer has the hair and the and the. Yeah, so his hair is hair. darker. He's, it's it's normal. He looks like a normal, but very well groomed and buffed. Yeah, he's slimmed down man. a bit though. He's in his life phase, starting yeah. with Born Killers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's very, he looks very, very, very good looking. He's acting well. He's acting up to David Carradine. Um, maybe you know, not Born Killer level, but <laughs> you know, more subtle. And so that's a fan. It's a great film. It really is fun. Mm-hmm. Totally fun. This is one that we bought on DVD. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, eBay or whatever. Yeah, Fif- yeah, fifteen bucks. That was worth it. Okay, so our next top pick, and we agreed pretty much. Uh, we we both picked our top fives, and we only differed on one. So the next top favorite that we both chose was Raw Nerve, which nineteen ninety one. Right, and it's just it's confusing because there's a several other titles with the word raw in them that Ted was in. But. Yeah, they, they like that word raw and dead a lot. So it gets very confusing, and I find myself, I have to go and look at IMDb almost every time to go, which one was that? Deadly Prey is the only one, and Sledgehammer, the only ones I can really remember. I always have to go and check. But yeah, this was a great one. Now, it's only got 4.3 on IMDb out of 10. No way. No way. That's unfair. This one's great. And it has an amazing cast in it, which is unbelievable. First of all, this is Glenn Ford, who was a major Hollywood star, A-list Hollywood star during the studio system. Uh, And he starred in Glenda opposite Rita Hayworth. Mm. I mean, that's how big a star he was. This is his final... Final film. Final film. Wow. Uh, Sandal Bergman, for those of you who uh, are Conan the Barbarian fans, she was in that with Arnold Schwarzenegger. She actually starred in... uh, three or four movies with Ted. Uh, so she's in it. Then we also have Tracy Lords. Now Tracy Lords was a porn star who uh, was trying at this period to make a transition into being a regular actress. And of course, I don't know whether she's much of an actor or not. I, she was. She oh, plays his sister in she this She pe- plays his sister. She was okay. Yeah. But not amazing. Um, so it wasn't like she had great acting chops, but... She's pretty bad, honestly. But she's yeah. sassy and we like her. Yeah. But she was trying to cross over and, and kind of use her fame as porn star. It was a big thing. I remember reading articles oh, about it. Interesting. Yeah. And so that's uh, another... <laughs> and then it also has, amazingly, Jan Michael Vincent who uh, I was kind of near the end. He's not looking great. That, uh, J. Malcolm Vincent in the 70s was the super hottie. He was sort of like the new James Dean. He was supposed to be the, the moody actor who's like very, very handsome. He was in a lot of things. And I remember having a crush on him when I was in grade school. I think he was so handsome. And he's in this, and he's the most dull. Uh, he plays a cop, and he's just kind of like, and he, he doesn't look well. He looks like working it hard, you know, maybe mm. a lot of drugs, I believe that they said. So he didn't look that great, but he's in it and he's famous. <laughs> so so he's got a really a lot of actors known to the wider world, shall we say, especially mm. Glenn Ford. And Glenn Ford's in it. He has a few scenes and you can tell he's not feeling that well, but it really doesn't matter because Ted's role is so brilliant. And this is about women in red shoes getting murdered yeah yeah so this is a we're back to the well this is a psycho thriller slasher kind of deal and the first scene is great it opens in like a house of mirrors and there's a murder so you know you starting off well yeah yeah exactly i'm sure that us just ripped that totally off this movie oh yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> jordan peele's you know david Pryor did it first okay right um (laughs) Uh, so yeah there's a murder and then basically we have ted he's like the best brother in the world and he takes care of his younger teenage sister and you know because their parents are dead and essentially 
he gets these headaches and he sees these murders and he goes to the cops and says like, I'm psychic. I saw this murder while it was happening in my head and I can give you all this information. And the cops go, oh, you're an idiot. You yeah. know, you're a... Oh, and he's a race car driver. And Oh, he's a race car driver. Yeah. It, which has <laughs> nothing whatsoever to do with anything in the plot. That's just what he does, right? Um, and so, so we're going to give this one away too. But I loved this so much. Do you, do you want to yeah. give the twist away? This is a high tide in terms of David A. Pryor being like oh, I can write twists. And then he like packs like three twists into this movie, into which is one twist, great. yeah. It's, it's like a three-ply. Yeah, okay. So what's the what's the first layer of twist that happens? The first layer of twist is that David had a sexual relationship with his mother. Right, so there's incest in this one. Right, so there's incest there. And then the second twist is that the his sister is also his daughter. She's his daughter, sister, daughter, sister, daughter. <laughs> so a little Chinatown there. Right. Right? <laughs> and then the final twist is that he's the psych... He's got a split personality. Right. And that's actually... The Due to the trauma of his mother. mother. Yes. And, and his father coming in and murdering the mother, right? Oh, right. No, or did he murder his mother? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what happened, but maybe he murdered his, his, I mean, his alternate personality. Yes, his alternate personality murdered his mother, I think, and his father. Yeah. And then he comes in to the house at the end. He's had this relationship with this woman and she doesn't know. And right. And she's been all great and he's been all tender and it's been all like, ooh, but he's been weird and she wants to support him. And then all of a sudden, the other personality emerges. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Poor Sandal Bergman, right? Great ending. It's great. It's great. It's great. Yeah, it's just twist upon twist there as you get to the end. And we are just going, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) That was a fun one. Raw Nerve is is a good one. Then following there are several movies. And then the next one that has Raw in it is Raw Justice. Just don't be confused. That's not the same one. No. And that's not on our list of recommendations. I remember it being fun, but I think also Ted is like a butler in that one or like a driver or something. Yeah, yeah. He's not in it hardly at all. So the next one on my list, it's not uh, on Zoe's list, is 1994's... Possessed by the Night. Possessed by the Night. This is his first pairing with Shannon Tweed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Shannon Tweed is, uh, just in case you don't know who she was, she's a big figure in genre film. And she is married, actually, to Gene Simmons, who's the lead singer for Kiss, by the by. by. They've been together like 35 years. Wow. Amazing. They have a really solid relationship. And she's very beautiful blonde, buxom, and she was a Playboy centerfold. She had an affair with Hugh Hefner for a little while. I think they probably all did. That was his perk. I don't know. I don't have any facts to base that on. Anyway, so she was a a Playboy centerfold, and she had won some different um, beauty contests and so forth. So it's interesting. She she you know was in a few movies on TV a bit, but really, and they don't mention this in the Wikipedia page, which I think is interesting because I think it's her real contribution. She became her own producer. And, and creator of films, and she created this sort of erotica um, film that is meant to, I think, appeal to everybody, not just men, not just women. But, uh, and she never, it was never hardcore, it was very, very softcore, especially today. I mean, it'd be a lot of showing her breasts, like she does in this film, showing her breasts a little bit, yeah. maybe getting on an exercise machine and doing some of those, you sweaty know, workout, the sweaty workout. Presses, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of hands running up and down thighs, you yeah, know. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, very, very low-key stuff. But at the time, it was, it was risque, and it wasn't going to ever be mainstream. But she, she did that, and she, she did it as her own producer and under, under her own control. Um, so I, I, I have to give her credit for that because that was fairly early for a woman to be doing that. Anyway, Shannon Tweed is well known for those kinds of things. She did a lot of those films. In this one, she plays a temp secretary coming in to help Ted, who is a writer, do his writing and he's married to another hot blonde yeah exactly you're like well what's your problem here so the thing that's thrown into the mix that messes everything up is there is this weird facey head like creaturey homunculus monster in this jar that they get of course at a chinese store right right so (laughs) he just walks in there and he's like i must have this yeah he sees it on the shelf and they don't want to sell it and the guy, but the but the the son of the family sells it because 
it's got some magical powers and curses and stuff like that. So he takes it home and it basically just fires up everybody's id. So they, they have no reasonableness and they just, they'll kill and they'll, they'll heightened have sex. Eroticism, and heightened anger. Violence. Yeah. yeah. All this kind of <laughs> knives and, and the, and the sex scene between Tweed and Ted is the most unsexy thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. It's clearly choreographed. Clearly he can't touch her. He can only touch her in certain areas. And he can only touch her in, certain, in a certain way. So it's almost like his hand is not like really exactly on her. It's sort of like there's like a micro, a micron of air between his hand. And so there's, there's actually like really no contact at all. But they're both, I mean, he's acting it the best he can. Gotta give him that. Sure, yeah. I, their noises are just like, oh, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, oh, oh, mm. <laughs> Oh, and then I think there are, there's wind and blinds, isn't that? There's like oh, yeah. breeze, like when it's getting supposed to getting there's really some, hot. They, I mean, they have, I think their first sex scene is during a thunderstorm. Classic. That's it. So that's you know, it. you can put the lightning cracks in the places wherever you want to. But it still it has a pretty um, interesting cast, although more obscure. Well, for, of course, Shannon Tweed, as I said, Sandal Bergman is the one who plays his other hot blonde wife. So here okay. she's here. They are paired again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he has sex with her in the in the movie too. Oh right, so yeah. Uh, that one that seems a little bit better. They seem a little bit more comfortable. Interesting. Also, Chad McQueen is in this, and Chad McQueen is the son of Steve McQueen, uh-huh. the very very famous actor. But and Chad tried to make it as an actor, and as the, I don't know if he continued with his career, but he's never become. Even even a quarter as famous as his father, and then interestingly, Turhan Bay is in this. This actor Turhan Bay has uh, was born even though he's born in Austria, he was actually ethnically comes from Turkey, so he had that quote unquote exotic look to him in old Hollywood. In he old was Hollywood, an old Hollywood well, actor, yeah, exotic, and so he was actually a, a, a pretty big star in the nineteen forties, mm. even though he never could be like a Gary Cooper or, you know, anybody like that. He um, he did play romantic leads, uh, but he was in a lot of movies where he would be sort of the second lead or he would be the villain or something like that. Anyway, Turhan Bay was a big, big star in the 40s. Hmm. And so he's in this movie too. See, I told you. Amazing stuff going on here. And uh, so they, they are supported by these people. It doesn't really make the movie much better. But it is really funny, this head. It's really, or I don't know if it's a it's head. It's not a head. You keep well, saying a head, but it's like a weird fetal mass in a yeah, jar. With, with, a, with, with eyes, eyeball. With, yeah. a, with an eyeball. and It, it pulsates. It, it pulsates and it glows and it, it just does stuff. <laughs> it is so bizarre. I just got the biggest kick out of it. I, yeah. think, I think it's because it, it, it unleashed that id so that these, they were just doing these absolutely wild, stupid things that... There's no way, it's like, oh, I want people to do, uh, I want to make this exploitation film. I want to have a lot of, a lot of people having sex with all bunch of people and violence and, and, and turning on each other. And gee, why should I have to figure out any extra motivation? No. I'll just put a giant jarred homunculus here and it will just make them do it. And that will be the motivation. Right. Yeah. It's very simple. Very simple. <laughs> And in, and the end is fine. I won't even say what the end is because it doesn't help to say it. But it's weird. <laughs> it's weird because it, remember it just kind of and disappears. Yeah. And like melts away. Yeah. And, and then, then it, it reappears. Yeah, like reappears somewhere. Somewhere else. Someone else picks it up. Yeah. And it just travels throughout time messing yeah. up people's lives, I guess. But I will tell you, Possessed by the Night was hard to find. Um, I think we ended up having to rent, rent it. No, I think we found it on YouTube. It was not very yeah, good quality. Yeah, we watched it on YouTube. Yeah. That's right. And it was not good quality. It was kind of tough. But yeah. you can get it on YouTube. I think we talked through all of our Oh, faves. yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. First of all, I want to warn you against Night Claws and The Pack. Ugh. Those are terrible. I, mean, I mean, they are really so terrible that they will uh, like just bore you to death. <laughs> totally do not watch those. I thought uh, Hard Case and Fist in 1989... That one I, I should put on my um, notables. I enjoyed that one. He, he's in he's in prison, and then he has to get out of prison. And his cop buddy set him up. Yeah. Yeah, he was a cop, and then he got he got set up by his cop buddy. So that one was was pretty good. And then the other one is the other raw title, 
Raw Justice, I put that from 1994 on my list. Ted is hardly in it at all. He has a few, uh, uh, I think he shoots a gun a few times and hides behind a car while during a gun battle. That's pretty much it. But it's pretty entertaining, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. And it has, um, it. I, I call it as close to a real movie as they ever got, even though Ted isn't in it that much. Because it has some people who at the time were, were not necessarily in a slump. Pamela Sue Anderson is in it, and she yeah, was really good right. in it. She was yeah. really great, and she's from Baywatch. She was the original cast of Baywatch, and it's got the David Keith that I was talking about earlier, and that guy was in Like an Officer and a Gentleman with Richard Gere and Deborah Winger, and, and then it also has Stacy Keach, who was a famous uh, TV actor and, and played like cops and and detectives and things like that. And then there was Robert Hayes, who was delightful in this movie, and he was the pilot, the star of... Airplane. Oh, okay. Do you remember Airplane? Of course. Yeah, it's fantastic. And he plays in it. And he's he's really the lead. And he's very put upon, the poor guy. And he's, uh, anyway, I won't tell you the story. You don't even need to know. But know that it was, it was pretty fun. Hi, it was a, you know, kind of a heist thriller chase movie with a little bit of romance and comedy in it. I like that one. For notables, I put down... Uh, So Day of the Warrior is on this list, and it's really fun. Ted is, again, hardly in it, and I think plays a bartender or a driver or something like that. But we ended up buying this one on Blu-ray, and it's it's one of those higher-end exploitation, erotic, wacky action movies, I guess. Oh, I also put down, um, this will be fun, I put down Final Sanction, The Final Sanction from 1990. And this is another one in which Ted plays a soldier, but he gets pitted against a Russian super soldier. Yeah, that is really, that's Um, a good one. That's a good one. They decide that like, you know, the, the, I don't know, collateral damage would be too high. So they send, they, each nation chooses their like most powerful warriors to just go against each other one-on-one. And the Russian super soldier is this guy who has this amazing face. It's so big. His face is so huge. Yeah, he's got that uh, megala, megala something. It's a, it's a, yeah. a, a condition that people have that kind of face. Uh, Robert uh, Zadar. Robert Zadar yeah. plays the Russian super soldier. He has this extremely distinctive face. And he's got very gentle energy in my book. But yeah. But but he but he's he's the Russian super killer. And what's interesting is is they show the background of how he was trained, how he was um, conditioned mentally and physically uh, by all sorts of like basically torture methods in Russia to be the super. They put like a helmet on his head and do like a virtual stimulation in which he has to face the worst right. fears ever. Or right, whatever. and on and on. And basically, the two guys get together uh, while they're fighting each other and go, "Hey, wait a minute, this is baloney." <laughs> and then they they team up against the other Russians, I believe, or that are sent in to kill them both. Right. So that one's that one's pretty darn fun. And then I guess the last one that I think is worth talking about is Ted's last appearance mm. in a movie called The Last House. And You love that I one. Lo- I do kind of love this one. It was, like, painful to watch, but I, I was kind of oddly fascinated. He was a bartender. This is one where he was a bartender, right? Yeah. yeah. He just has, like... A minute or two. He's a bartender. He's credited as his name in this is Danton. So I think he was inserted into this movie as like an homage to him. Yeah, yeah. um, A cameo. This this movie is just weird. I think I described it in a review as like a Black Lodge sludge that's very gritty and hard to drink. But like, I don't know. It's even, it's too hard to describe. I can't do it. Yeah, it's, well, there's murder. Yeah. There's murder in it. There's a house. There's a house. And, and basically it's... She's an escort. Yeah, basically it's uh, this trio of, of villains for no ostensible reason that we can really see except they're supposed to be, I guess, sadists. They end up um, hiring three escorts that ultimately they're going to torture and murder. And basically they get this house that doesn't even belong to them. It's for, like for sale. And they uh, they take it over for the weekend. Basically home invasion. And they get these escorts and... Um, so essentially, will tables be turned? And then there's, there's all this existential weirdness where yeah. like, the main villain's guy name is Hate and the escort's name is Love. And then they have all this dialogue and it's, this person watched way too much David Lynch and thought he could make a <laughs> David Lynch movie and that's what this is. Yeah, that, it's, that is pretty wild. Yeah. If, you, if, you li- if you really like trash, trashiness that's done just over the top, and, and it does have some originality to it that mm-hmm. this stuff I haven't seen before. You'd like this one. So, yeah, 
I guess you're sick. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tiny turtle in it that keeps reappearing I, and crawling on the floor. And I know that's right. With the turtle, yeah. There's this tiny little baby turtle. Now, no, warning: nothing happens to the turtle. The turtle no. does not get killed because we kept waiting for that. Yeah, someone was going to step on that little thing. Yeah, or something, but it didn't. It was okay. <laughs> so happy ending, really. Yeah, because the turtle, the turtle was okay. Yeah. That's what we care about. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our trashy. A movie review and recommendations segment for you. Hopefully we'll be back with something of you know more elevated quality in the future. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.